stuff. My name's Joan. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the opportunity to, uh, to preach this morning. Uh, pastor Dan and the family are still on vacation, so we're, we're grateful for that. They get some rest and relaxation. Pastor Jonathan is actually across town preaching at Trinity, so uh, we've got a great group of, of, of teachers here, and I, I'm honored and privileged to have the opportunity to preach this morning. And um, we are starting a new series, and it's called Enjoying God, How to Live Satisfied and Gratified. And this morning, we're talking about joy in Christ. Now, as soon as Pastor Dan said, hey, Yon, here's what you're preaching on. Will you preach? I was like, sure. And then he's like, here's what you're going to preach on. I was like, oh, joy. I was like, <laughs> I was like, if you know me, I just exude and ooze joy everywhere I go. <laughs> My brother-in-law asked me, he goes, what are you preaching? I was like, joy. Is I, <laughs> uh, if you know me, this is not like, um, it's, 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 it's wonderful preaching because it's, it's deeply convicting for me about what we're studying. Um, um, even when I'm happy, like I'm a big soccer fan, even when I'm really happy and my team scores, I don't go like, yay, I go like, yes, I'm like angry happy, not like joyful happy, you know, maybe you're one of those people. Um, but joy is not necessarily something that, it's not maybe a word or a term that we use. What are some of the things, when, when you think of the word joy, what are some of the things that, that you enjoy in life? What do you got? What do you got? Food. Yeah, I mean, we just, it's state fair time, right? So, I mean, goodness gracious, right? You got the Baconator, you got, or the Bacon, the bacon Bomb. Someone was telling me about deep fried, like, hot sauce. They, like, put hot sauce and batter, and then they deep fry it, and they eat it. Like, there's, I mean, some people are like, that's not enjoyable. Other people, they love it, all right? But food, right? What else? What else do you enjoy? Sports. Yeah, I mean, we have sports teams that we love. Some, if you're like a, like a Knicks fan or something, there's no joy there. You know, if you're a Red Sox fan, no joy this year. Um, Right. And what else? Music. Music, make, yeah, music elicits a little bit of joy, right? Um, depends on who you're listening to. Um, all these things, right? Lots of joy. And let me show you a little picture of what, when I think of joy, here's what I think of joy, all right? This is, <laughs> kind of wraps all of them into one, okay? This is my daughter, for those of you who can't see, but she's uh, got the donut the size of her face. And we know, mom, mom and dad, we know that, we, uh, that we're doing it right when she's still this joyful when she gets sweets because that means we're not giving her too many. But she gets to go and she's got, right, she's joyfully about to have this incredible treat. Um, and when we, again, joy is not something that we kind of, we use every single, we don't think about joy. What we kind of usually think of like happiness, right? What makes me happy? Um, and, and there are things beyond donuts and food that bring us deep, deep joy, right? When I think of joy, again, I, I do think of this, but I think of like not the fact that she's happy, but I think of the fact that I got a little daughter that I love, and when I think of like, we, we wait to see what our, the gender of our, our kid is, so when we, when we uh, you know, little Kennedy came popping out, it was like, okay, we got a daughter, and I was like, I had some, some tears in my eyes because I was full of joy, right? I had some tears in my eyes when I got married, when I watched Jules walking down the aisle, um, I had some, some deep joy when um, I saw my little brother after like a deployment when he was in Iraq and I was in Iraq and he lost a lot of his guys in his unit, but I got to see him again and I got to see my little brother and say he was safe and sound. That brought me deep joy. And so life, we are full, we have, we, our lives are full of deep, joyful moments that are really big and really important, but they're also kind of really small in, when it comes to eating donuts or listening to a good song. And today we're going to talk about not necessarily those joys, because those joys, as great as they are, they do not represent what we would might consider deep, true joy. 
That doesn't make them bad. It just makes those experiences we just described incomplete and incapable of satisfying the deepest longings of our soul. And we would, we would contend in the Christian faith, and we'll talk about this morning, that there is a source of deep, true joy, and that that deep, true joy is only found in the person of Jesus. So, very simply put, the big idea today is Jesus is the source of true joy. Now, if we're going to make a claim like this, we've got to kind of answer a couple questions. Right? The first question that we're probably going to have to answer is, what is true joy? How do we actually define that? Then we'll talk about what does true joy look like if we've got it, what does it look like in our lives, and then we'll talk about at the end, how do we get it? If we're lacking it and we're not experiencing it, how do we get true joy? So that's where we're headed today. And so what is true joy? Right? We mentioned a a lot of different things, but joy is beyond happiness, it's beyond circumstantial, temporary things, because joy is something very deep and profound. Joy is something that affects the entire personality. And all those things we mentioned cannot possibly be equate to true joy, as great as they are. They're incomplete and insufficient to satisfy the deep longings of our soul for a couple reasons. The first is that they are temporary. Those experiences and those enjoyable experiences, as big and meaningful as they are, are temporary. The joy that I experience of seeing my daughter for the first time is very quickly washed away as she's demanding another donut every single day. I'm like, who are you? Get back in the womb. I don't want to see you for another nine months, okay? They're temporary. Not only are they temporary, but they are circumstantial. They are based on the circumstance in which I find myself in. And so when we look at these sources of joy, they can't can't reach the standard or meet the mark of true, deep, soul-satisfying joy because they are temporary and they're circumstantial. And... You and I, we, we live in the real world, right? How many of you in your life are just going from your life is consistent of one, one moment of joy to the next? It's just joy all day long. Anyone? If you're that person, you are very annoying to everybody else on the planet, okay? There's one, there's one person who's like always happy, and you're like, either there's some sort of something going on inside their mind or they're faking it, right? Because we know life is not just an endless series of joyful and enjoyable experiences. There is an opposite to joy that we experience probably more often in our lives than actually experiencing these big joyful moments, if not more, equal to. And that is the opposite of joy being a level of hopelessness and despair based on our temporary circumstance and the situation which we find ourselves in, right? We can have high moments of great joy. I see my daughter, and it's an incredible time. And then, thank God this hasn't happened yet, but my daughter could get an illness, an incurable disease, and then suddenly I'm cast into a deep pit of despair and hopelessness, saying this person, this moment that caused me all of this incredible joy has now, based on my circumstances and the situation which I find myself in, I'm experiencing the opposite of that height, that incredible joy. 
And all that just serves to point to the idea that these temporary moments cannot reach the level of true, deep, satisfying joy because they don't, they're temporary, they're circumstantial, and we experience the opposite of it. The worst part, and this is the bad news, the bad news is that the hopelessness and despair is not like the moments of joy and that they're temporary and circumstantial. They are actually both temporary and circumstantial in our life here on earth, but they are also, as the Bible teaches, eternal and everlasting apart from Jesus. We don't have any hope. We are in despair and hopelessness for our eternal state apart from Christ. Great news, right? Here I am. (laughs) There's Yon exuding joy all over the place, right? But so when we think of what is true joy, the question then becomes, well, what is it? If it's not all these circumstances, we've defined it as an opposite. We're experiencing all these deep despair and hopelessness that are problematic for us in eternity. We have to answer the question of what is true joy. And there's a, a, a theologian, and he's actually a medical doctor, and he, he was someone who, who wrote about the Bible, and here's what he said describing what true joy actually looks like. His name's Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he says this. He says, The world has never seen anyone who knew joy as our Lord knew it. He's describing this dichotomy of experiencing great joy, but then also experiencing the, the despair and the hopelessness of living in this world and the problem that we have with sin and the brokenness of sin. He says, the world has never seen anyone who knew joy as our Lord knew it. And yet he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus is experiencing both ends of the spectrum. So any definition of joy must somehow correspond to this tension that we experience in life. He goes on to say, there is only one thing that can give true joy, and that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I hear contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm thinking, is he telling me i got to be a monk or something? Like, (laughs) I'm going to go read the Bible for 24 hours a day. No, what he is simply saying is this. He's saying, true joy is the response and reaction of the soul to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, there is no true joy. He is the source of true joy because... He satisfies the deepest longings of the soul and he solves the problem of the opposite of joy that all those experiences that we have can't solve. And that is our eternal hopelessness and despair based on our sinfulness and our brokenness and our rebellion against him. So true joy is the response and reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple, right? We're done? We're out of here? (laughs) So that's what it is. The next question is, well, okay, well, if that is what it is, how do I know if I have it? What does it look like if I actually have that in my life? So here's our question. What does true joy look like in my life? And God doesn't leave us wondering, right? He doesn't say, what does true joy look like? Go figure it out on your own. He actually gives us some pretty explicit ideas about what it looks like. He tells us, right, the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, right? Number two on the list, pretty important. 
So he says, well, what does it look like? Well, there's a fruit, and that is love and joy. And so what does that fruit look like? If I have true joy, and I'm not pursuing and seeking temporary, circumstantial joy, what does true joy look like in my life? And Paul gives us a great example of this through the book of Philippians. Paul, in his his letter to the church in Philippi, mentions joy. It's four chapters long. He mentions joy 12 different times. And he gives us a great picture of what joy, this deep, true joy in Christ, looks like in the life of a believer. And so we're going to look at these. And we're going to go quick. There's eight of them, right? Don't quit on me, all right? There's eight of them. We'll go kind of quick. And so here's what he says. You can poke around all through Philippians. It's going to be kind of, here's what we got. We'll jump into all these different verses. But he says this. He says, I thank my God always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So what does joy look like? What's the first thing Paul tells us in this letter to the church in Philippians, to Philippi? Is that my spiritual disciplines, true joy shows up in my spiritual disciplines, in the way that I pray. If I don't pray with true joy in knowledge and relationship to Jesus, I might be doing it a little bit wrong. Next one. He says, what then... In Philippians 1.18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ Jesus proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now this, I'm, I'm skipping through. I don't, we're not, we're going to read, we're not going to read four chapters. But what he's talking about here is he says, he's actually given a picture, and there's, there's, a, there's a debate going on. Paul is in prison. He's in Roman prison, and he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. He's under arrest, impending death um, any day. And what he's saying is that as he's in prison, there's people who are, to spite Paul, they're going around and preaching the good news of Jesus. Now, how many of you have thought, I'm going to spite my enemy by preaching Jesus? Anybody? How many of you would be spited if somebody preached Jesus? <laughs> it was a strange uh, rivalry that's going along against uh, like followers of Paul, uh, uh, disciples of Paul versus disciples of other people. But what is happening is Paul's in prison and all these people are going around preaching Jesus. And what he essentially says is, he says, what then? Regardless of all this whole situation, he says only that, it doesn't, none of that matters. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. He just says what matters is that Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. So what's Paul saying? What does true joy look like? He's saying this, there's a self-forgetfulness in my joy. If I have true joy, it shows up in a level of self-forgetfulness. I don't care about my own reputation. I don't care who gets the credit. What I care about is that Christ is preached and proclaimed. So we got two. Spiritual disciplines, true joy shows up in the way I pray, shows up in the way that I get rid of my own reputation and self-forgetfulness. He goes on. A couple more to go. He says also to the church in Philippi, he is actually preaching, and he, or he's telling them, he said, I actually wish that I would go and be with Jesus. I, I'm, I'm done here on earth. I'd prefer to die and go spend eternity with Jesus, is what he's essentially writing to the church in Philippi. But he says, but he's decided to, he's decided to remain in the flesh here on earth, and it's more necessary on the church of Philippi's account. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, what does true joy look like? It means I'm going to stick around for your sake. How many of you have someone who said that to you recently? I don't say that normally to people. Say, I'm going to stick around for your sake. I'd rather go to heaven, but for your sake, I'll be here. Okay? But what does it say? There's a level of selflessness. If I have true joy in my life and Christ is the center of that, there's a level of selflessness that shows up. I'm going to do this for you and not for me. 
Next. Paul writes to them, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what does this mean? Paul writes to the church of Philippi. And here's the thing about the church of Philippi. Every other letter that kind of Paul writes to these different churches, it's kind of, there's a piece in there where there's a little bit of a rebuke. He's essentially saying, stop doing what you're doing, all right? You're doing something ridiculous. There, at one letter, he says, hey, there's someone in your, in your church who's uh, sleeping with their stepmom. Let's, let's not do that, right? There's another one where he says, hey, you're actually having two different communion services, one for the rich people and one for the poor people. Stop doing that. There's another one where he says, hey, uh, stop making people get circumcised and being legalistic, uh, uh, abiding by Jewish law. We don't need that anymore. Stop doing that. The one thing that in Philip, the church, this letter to the church in Philippi is that he doesn't say that. The church in Philippi, there's no explicit thing saying stop doing this. They're a healthy church. They have got great leaders. And so what does he tell them? What, he's, what he is saying is he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is he doing? He says true joy shows up in spiritual unity. The unity of that church family Biblical unity and community that is centered around the person and work and mission of Jesus. That's how true joy shows up there. All right, we got four. We got four more to go. Are we doing okay? All right. You guys have no joy. No joy. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Let's get Megan back up here and just sing, right? (laughs) Next one. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What's Paul saying? Is that in the Jewish tradition, anytime that they would sacrifice an idol or or, or, uh, uh, make a sacrifice, they had a drink offering too, where they would pour something out as an offering. And what he's saying is, I am content because of my true joy being poured out for your sake, and I will be glad and rejoice. So what's he saying? He said, true joy shows up in service to other people. I pour myself out for the sake of other people. Next, I am more eager. He's talking, next thing, he's talking about a a man named, uh, I'm going to screw this up, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is one of Paul's close disciples. And Epaphroditus got sick and nearly died. And so what Paul goes on to say is he says this. He says, I am more eager to send him, Epaphroditus, to the church in Philippi, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. This person was deeply close to Paul because he says, if he actually says a verse earlier, if this man had died, it would have been sorrow upon sorrow. And so he says, I'm going to send Epaphroditus to you, even though I'm in house arrest. I can't, like, my my options are limited for people to come, and I can't just go and visit people. But he's going to send this man to the church in Philippi so that they may rejoice in seeing him. And so what is this? True joy shows up in sacrifice. He is sacrificing his own comfort and his own own, um, relationships for the sake of other people. And lastly... He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What's Paul talking about? 
Paul, in a couple verses earlier than that, he is saying, he's essentially thanking the church in Philippi for supporting his missionary journey. He says, he says, of all the churches that I planted, you were the only church that supported me as I went to go on my missionary journey. And why does that matter? It matters because when you're in Rome and you have someone who's a political prisoner or someone like Paul who's kind of like a troublemaker everywhere he goes, people are, cities are rioting, people are trying to kill him, it doesn't really bode well to be pals with that kind of a person. But despite all of that, the church in Philippi supported him. But what's unique about this is when you look at someone like Paul, there is a kind of a principle that he's saying is that what true joy does is that he's actually making his needs known to this church in Philippi. He's saying, I need something, which is not something that we normally like to do. How many of you love to go telling everybody all the things that you need and how life's not going great? Hey, can you help me here? Can you help me here? Right? We normally are kind of really protective about that stuff. We don't want people to know the things that we're going through. So what does true joy look like in the life of a believer? It looks like two things. Vulnerability, I'm content in my circumstance, and contentment. I'm content in my circumstance regardless of what it is, and I'm inviting God's church, the people of God, into my life to be a part of it. So you can see there's eight different things. What is, this is what it looks like. Easy, go do it. There you go. We're done. How much joy does it bring you to say, okay, great. Now I know what I'm not doing. I got a whole bunch of stuff I got to do now, right? Doesn't bring me much joy. So this is what it looks like in the life of the believer. Now, if this doesn't happen, again, like I said, this is a deeply convicting message for me because when I look at this with some honesty and some integrity, I say, well, how much of this actually is showing up in my life? And, you know, speaking of vulnerability, not a whole heck of a lot, okay? Not as much as I would like. Not as much as the beauty and glory of Jesus kind of demands. And so if I'm not doing this, what does it look like if I'm not doing it? Because like we said at the beginning, right, if I'm not doing these things, then there's an opposite to, to joy. And what's the opposite? Hope and despair. Hopelessness and despair. So if I'm not doing this, am I walking around everywhere I go hopeless and despairing? I don't think so. Right? How many of you do that? How many of you are walking around from moment? Because if you're not living like this as much as we'd like, the opposite, we're not walking around saying, oh, it's terrible, <laughs> sackcloth and ashes, right? No, right? Wallowing around. Every we don't do that. But what do we do? We do something else. And then what we do is we don't experience true joy. We actually manufacture a counterfeit joy. There's a counterfeit joy that we actually manufacture both as believers and non-believers. And these counterfeit joys, they show up in every single one of these ways in which Paul describes what true joy looks like. We have a counterfeit for it. And counterfeit joy is unlike our true deep soul's acknowledgement and knowledge of Jesus. A counterfeit joy is an elation that is based on experiencing blessings, not the blesser. And it causes mood swings based on my temporary circumstance. 
And if we fall into the trap of manufacturing counterfeit joy, all of these different things that Paul has identified as true joy become transactions to get my temporary, circumstantial, momentary joy. And everything becomes me-focused. Now, at the risk of you thinking that Jules and I are terrible parents, here's another picture of my daughter eating a different suite, okay? This time it's a scone or something. But one of the, things, one of the joys about being a parent is, again, I am joyful and I have my kids, but, what, but it is actually a very revealing, and you know, the more I'm a parent, the more I realize how important it is to kind of refine my own heart and give a very clear picture of how God relates to me. And my daughter is three years old, and you've heard of the terrible twos, right? Someone said, no, 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 it's not that the threes are way worse than the twos. Can anybody amen that? We have found this to be true. Now, we love our daughter. She's wonderful. But she is currently in the I want, I want phase. She wants everything. And we kind of, Jules and I are kind of going crazy because we're like, you're being demanding. That's not how you live. Stop being demanding. And Jules has a personality. She's a helper. That's like her primary personality gift. And so, you know, it drives her crazy when she's, there's a little human being where it's like, you're so selfish. Why are you so selfish? Why aren't you other-centered? Right? I'm an achiever with like an also a helper. I'm a, I have a helper personality. So both of us were pulling our hair out saying this little selfish kid saying, I want, I want, I want. And one of the traps that we can potentially find ourselves in is that um, because there's all these things that she wants, she wants, she wants candy. She wakes up, I want candy. Well, we can't have candy in for breakfast. Why? Okay, here we go, right? <laughs> and here's the danger that Jules and I have the potential to fall into if we're not careful. We have to be careful to say, you know what, we're not going to, ne- this isn't a negotiation. It doesn't become, you eat your dinner and then you can get candy. Because if that happens, literally everything we do is transactional. My daughter will only do the, eat the healthy stuff if she gets a reward afterwards, right? And we will have ruined her for the rest of her life. Why? Because it's a little bit easier for us in the moment to say, okay, let's negotiate this thing. Instead of saying, I'm going to, I say this, Jules, I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm winning this battle. I am not losing this battle, this battle of wills, okay? But everything becomes transactional. That's the danger. And this kind of is a window into our souls as adults, right? We probably don't go around saying, I want, I want, I want. But that's maybe how we act. If we don't, if we're continually looking for temporary circumstantial joy, it's I want, I want, I want. I'm looking and searching for things that will give me temporary circumstantial joy. What's worse is that, like I said, my daughter not only is in the I want stage, she's in the why stage. She's in the stage of, okay, well, we're not having candy. Why? Well, because we don't eat candy for breakfast. Why? Well, because uh, it doesn't provide any nutritional value. Why? Well, because, you see, uh, it's can- uh, sugar, processed sugar is in the micro... It's like... And then eventually, what do we get to? What's the solution to that? Because I said so, right? It, it always goes into, you're not the boss around here. 
I'm the boss. And it's so juvenile, but it's like, you're in timeout, Kennedy, you're not the boss. Mom and dad are the boss. Do you understand? I want candy. Okay, all right. It's like, <laughs> we're the boss. Why? Well, because that's how God ordained it from the beginning of the year. Okay. But what's, it, what's processing in her little brain is she is asking why. Why can't I have candy? She does not in her little brain understand why something that tastes so good or something that is so enjoyable I can't just do over and over and over and over. And I think if we're honest, when we think of true joy compared to counterfeit joy and the things that we manufacture in our own lives and the pursuits that we have is that generally speaking, we probably are more like little three-year-olds than we would be really keen to admit. We just have grown-up I wants. We have grown-up candy and Rapunzel dresses and wigs. <laughs> We go around and saying, I want and pursuing temporary circumstantial joys. And we, the problem is not that those things are bad. The problem is that we make those things the ultimate things in our lives. And those are the things we pursue. And we do not and never will find that true joy. And like I said, in, United, in, in America, primarily, this shows up in one really major way. And that is in the pursuit of happiness. We replace, and generally speaking, lots of times we replace the idea of true joy with a temporary happiness. I mean, for crying out loud, it's built right into the founding documents of our country. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And there's a, a, a writer for, uh, for Vox, and she's a Brit, and she's a Brit, so she came from, and she was, uh, she was saying, I, I live in the United States, and I've, you know, the American culture is very, very unique in that there is a, um, everybody here seems to be pursuing happiness. And so she did an article on it, then she wrote a whole book on it, kind of engaging, well, what is this happiness thing in the United States? And, what, I mean, and how is it actually working out? And here's what she says, here's what she found. She said this, she says, it seems as though happiness in America has become the overachiever's ultimate trophy. A modern trump card, it outranks professional achievement and social success, family, friendship, and even love. Again, if we're honest, this probably hits closer to the mark than we'd like to admit. And here's the solution that she says. She says, after studying it all, here's what she says. She says, the happiness-seeking culture is clearly supposed to be part of the solution, but perhaps it is actually part of the problem. Perhaps America's precocious levels of anxiety are happening not just in spite of the great national happiness rat race, but also in part because of it. And so why does this matter? It matters because when we look at the differences between true joy, finding our knowledge and acknowledgement of the beauty and worth of person of Christ compared to the counterfeit joys of which we pursue, it's that not only is it not deeply satisfying to the soul, but it doesn't actually help us get that temporary happiness that we're pursuing. It doesn't work. It doesn't if it doesn't honor the beauty and majesty of Jesus and it doesn't help our actual, it doesn't satisfy our soul and we, are, we find ourselves in a rat race of continually pursuing this temporary circumstantial counterfeit joy that we have to manufacture. 
And who gets the manufactured? Everything becomes transactional. You exist for my joy. I'm, a part of, I'm going to do some spiritual disciplines. Well, I'm going to do it because it makes me feel good and it makes me feel better about my standing before God if I'm a religious person. And that, that gives me some joy. It's counterfeit. I'm a part of a church family because they love me and they accept me and they really, they're really kind people until I meet someone who's not so kind and then they gossip about me and then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm out of here. I'm going to another church. The transaction works until it doesn't work. All of these things are counterfeit. Everything is a transaction to feed my own momentary, temporary joy. It doesn't honor God and it doesn't work. This woman's not a Christian. She's just making a speculation or a conclusion about the culture in which we live. And so, if that's what it looks like, if there's true joy, and Paul gives us eight things of what it looks like, but it also, we are actually probably, our hearts are sinful and broken and we're pursuing counterfeits, we're manufacturing our own joy, the question becomes, how do I solve that problem so that my joy, my heart and my joy is deeply and truly found in the person and work of Jesus? How do I actually do it? How do I rejoice in the Lord? Because three of the mentions Paul has in Philippi, he tells the church in Philippi, tells them, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Well, how do we do that? And if true joy is the response and reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do I find that true joy? And it's not super complicated, but it's also not... Well, it's not complicated. Here's what it is. Acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. The path to true joy is that I acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is it, though? And how do I do that? Well, here's here's what Hebrews says. Here's what Paul says in his letter to Hebrews. He says, we do this. He's talking about how do I acknowledge the Lord? How do I keep my eyes on him? He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who both initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who both initiates our faith and perfects our faith, initiates our true joy and perfects our true joy as we live. And here's how we do this. We do this two very simple ways. The first one is we look back. We look back and remember what Jesus did for us. And we know this because Paul says this very explicitly. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What brings Paul joy? He's looking back at the work that Jesus did in those people. He's looking back at the work that Jesus did in his own heart, and he's saying, look what Jesus did. He brought me from death to life. And so how do I keep my eyes on Jesus? I look back as a believer. We look back on what Jesus did for us. And we're going to do that today because we're taking communion. And that's why Jesus tells us to take communion, do this in remembrance of me because we have forgetful hearts and we pursue counterfeit joys. 
The psalmist in Psalm 51 says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you recall when you were saved, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, there was like a holy, holy cow, sounds not appropriate, right? Um, Holy cannoli. I cannot believe what Jesus did for me. But the longer we become Christians, the less enthralled we get with that. So we look back. But then we also look forward. We look forward to the beauty and joy of what Christ is going to do. And he says, he continues on after that, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He looks forward into the future. He says, how do you find true joy? I look back and remember what Jesus did. I look forward and I, see, and I, and I look to what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come again. All of our pain, all of the opposite things of joy, pain, hopelessness, despair, all those things will go away. And what do we get? We get this. Eternal life, and this is eternal life. Jesus is praying to God on behalf of the church. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This true joy is not temporary or circumstantial. It is eternal. It's an eternal life in relationship with the true deepest source of joy that our hearts and souls desire, the person of Jesus. And so you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound all that great right now. That's okay. If you are not a Christian, you would say, no, that doesn't sound all that great. Maybe you are a Christian, you're saying, well, maybe we've lost a little bit of that joy. But here's what we're going to do. In response, we are going to take communion, and we're going to remember, we're going to look back, remember what Jesus did in our hearts. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to look forward and celebrate what Jesus is going to do in the future. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what I encourage you to do is that even if you don't really feel it, if you don't feel that joy in the moment right now, sing. Sing a little bit louder than you might normally sing. Worship your way into the acknowledgement of Jesus. We kind of worship our way out of joy because we pursue all these other things. Our hearts are captured by other things. Let's worship our way into joy a little bit. Sing a little bit louder. Talk to God a little bit longer and let's point our hearts to Jesus for the next couple of minutes and I think we'll be amazed at the starting point. Ask the Holy Spirit, give me joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And that's a prayer that he will answer every single time.